Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Are you needing a safe space to learn how you can get your mind right? Tune into Imani's State of Mind, a weekly podcast hosted by psychiatrist and TV personality Dr. Imani Walker and co-host comedian Meg Scoop-Thomas. Two smart, successful women and mothers sharing their personal and professional experiences to help normalize conversations around mental health. This is not your average mental health show. Each week, they break down what's happening in news, pop culture, and their very own experiences managing mental health. Together, you will laugh. Keep it real. And create a safe space where everyone can get help with their issues. Nothing is off the table. Dr. Imani Walker and Meg Scoop Thomas discuss everything from relationships with yourself, with your spouse, and your parents to the realities of postpartum depression and anxiety. Do not forget to take a deep breath. Find your calm and get into Imani's state of mind with new episodes dropping every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. The first vote-by-mail ballots are hitting people's mailboxes and the earliest in-person early voting starts this week. Do you know how you're voting? If your answer is, it's September, I haven't thought about it. Like, am I going to go to uh, my Halloween parties dressed as Mando? Am I going to go as a character from Legally Blonde? I haven't decided yet. Uh, Get off my back. This is the week to get your shit together on both counts, both for voting and for your Halloween costume. Voter suppression efforts have ramped up following the 2020 election, making it even more critical to ensure that every American has access to the ballot box. At Vote Save America, you can find the most up-to-date information on what you need to make sure your vote is counted in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. Give Puerto Rico the statehood as well. Use our ballot-ready tool to request your ballot. Find out how you can return it or get a reminder for when in-person early voting locations become available in your state. To win in November, it's going to take every single one of us making our plan to vote, getting involved, and reminding everyone we know to do the same. Once you've made your plan to vote, visit votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote to find out what you can do next, including donating to the Every Last Vote Fund to directly support the work of community organizations, organizers, and volunteers in states that are actively working to battle disenfranchisement in communities of color, including in Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and more. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for She-Hulk episode six and and or episodes one through three. We're releasing two episodes this week, so be sure to check out both for our full conversation. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we're diving deep. It's your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. On episode two this week, the episode you're listening to, we are talking to uh, She-Hulk head writer Jessica Gao, and we will be discussing She-Hulk episode six, which is a crazy, crazy, it just goes crazy. The episode goes crazy, and... We will be discussing the uh, the latest entry in Star Wars television, Andor. 
episodes one through three are out now on Disney Plus. So we'll be talking about that in a more general way to give you uh, give you all time to digest the episodes. And we'll be going uh, on a deeper dive in weeks to come. And of course, joining us today uh, is Rosie Knight. It's me. I'm here. Yes. Let's go for We made it. We're on both um, episodes. Uh, yeah. As always, everyone, uh, check the show notes for the timestamps if you want to jump around and, and listen to the things that you want to listen to. Let's go back into the courtroom uh, or the wedding, the the wedding hall, whatever the case may be, uh, and talk about She-Hulk episode six. Episode six, Just Jen, written by Kara Brown, directed by Anu Valia. Uh, lots to get into. Quick recap. Jen has to go to a wedding where she discovers that uh, her arch rival, her arch foe, Titania, is also a wedding guest. And is this some sort of uh, part of this some sort of plot for Titania to uh, defeat Jen publicly in front of everyone? Uh, and then back at the law firm, uh, Mallory and Nikki are dealing with the case of a, a a gentleman who goes by the name of Mr. Immortal. Dun, dun, dun! Who, dun, dun, dun! Who uh, <laughs> cannot die uh, because, you know, according to the comics, he's a flat-out mutant, and he has been using this power to not die uh, to defraud various romantic partners and business partners uh, by quote-unquote, faking his death. Uh, lots to get into, so let's just get into it. Fun episode yeah. once again. This is just such a fun show, and I feel like I'm really impressed by how much fun they have digging into the weirder parts of Marvel. Like, oh obviously, Mr. Immortal, that's a big deal. So technically, he is, everyone in the Marvel Universe sees him as a mutant. And technically, he is a mutant, but the thing that's really interesting is he is the only member of the evolutionary race known yeah. as the Homo Supreme. So he's like one above a mutant, but he is, for all extents and purposes, and is presents as Homo Superior, which is a mutant. So yeah, it's it that's just like huge to have him here and also just use it in such an absolutely hilarious She-Hulk way. Yes. Where it's like, this guy has been defrauding people he loves because he can't have confrontation by just killing himself. It's like really bleak, but also very hilarious and very comic booky. And he he is like, this is an extremely big episode in a lot of ways because it shows us not only that the creative team here obviously absolutely hilarious, but also this like, is the most comic book nerdy yeah like show Ma- yet. He, like he, he talks digging about, in the stacks for he, the, these yeah, references. He talks about when he's there, he's talking about how he's got a lot of money, right? And part of how he got a lot of money is because oh, his yes. ex-wife left him a bunch of gold. The Baroness, Baroness Cromwell, aka Baroness oh! Blood. So yeah. this is just like they were just like, yeah, go for it. They were like, oh, Jessica, so, so just tell like, us, do it up. Tell us who Baroness Blood is, and then let's dive into the uh, really actually quite funny backstory of of who Mr. Immortal is, at least in the comics. Yeah, so Baroness Blood is like a really weird, (laughs) creepy character who was first introduced hilariously in everyone's favorite comic, Union Jack number one. So she's (laughs) actually from 1998, which isn't obviously that far away, but she's part of now like most well known as a part of the legion of the unliving which is like a group of vampires who were brought together by dracula so you can basically say like we've had a donny blaze 
Johnny Blaze yep. joke in this season. Yep. We're now getting into the realm where vampires probably exist. They're now just also, like, and mutants are just mutants walking are just around. Casually, not only that, but as we as we guessed. So I'm taking this as a we were right. Yeah, we said post Miss Marvel, what they were going to do was just introduce random mutants here and there. They're going to say, here's a mutant, here's someone who's been living with these crazy powers, and we're just going to build them into the fabric of the world. And that's exactly what they're doing with Mr. Immortal and with the way that they're just casually kind of dropping in these things. I mean, Baroness Blood is like a supernatural, super-powered vampire. Makes sense that she would have married an immortal. I mean, that's a a hookup that works. But basically, you can now say that vampires 100% do exist in the MCU. Let me ask you this. My uh, my my friend, uh, comic book critic and sports writer, Matt Turrell, DM'd me. Um, and he was like, hey, I think you were talking about, you and Rosie were talking about why does Atlantis come to the fore? I think they're going to do, when they introduce mutants, I think it's going to be similar to Atlantis, Secret Society, Krakoa era, and they're all there, and Mm. they reveal themselves, and then it's a question of how they, um, you know, uh, then become part of the uh, wider society, if that's indeed what they decide to do. I kind of agree that I think Krakoa is going to be around, but here is what the appearance of Mr. Immortal suggests, that... Because if Krakoa is a thing, then Mr. Immortal should be on the island. Like, why are you? Unless he's why, why like, you, unless he's just like, nah. He rejected the gifts of yeah. Krakoa. Because <laughs> he's now, already immortal, so he doesn't need the Krakoan gift. Here is my, here is the other thing that I think. And it, it you know, kind of dovetails with Mr. Immortal. I do think that Krakoa exists, but I also think like, Warren Worthington and others Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. way that would seem insidious to the wider society have infiltrated human culture, you know, or, you know, or are not have not revealed themselves to be mutants, but are around and are doing things and are some of them are power brokers in human society. And I think that uh, Mr. Abortal maybe points the way at that. I agree. Mutants being around, but have uh, have been kind of keeping it quiet for most of human history until recently when it's like, oh, powered people are around. Maybe I can start being more obvious with the things that I'm doing. No, Mr. Immortal makes a lot of sense in that context also because um, he's essentially living by what I like to call like twilight rules, where he's basically, because he's (laughs) been alive for like a million years and he can never die, he's just immensely rich. So in its own way, especially in America and and in like capitalism kind of culture, you you have infiltrated the highest parts of society just simply by being incredibly wealthy. So that's yeah. exactly that kind of thing. And also, as we know, if GLK and H didn't exist, these women and Sebastian probably would never have actually known that he was immortal and hadn't actually died. And if they had have seen the video that we will get to, the Intelligentsia video, they wouldn't have had a way to get recompense. So I think that introducing this superhero law firm is a really good way of seeding exactly what you're talking about, where suddenly everyone's like, okay, wait a minute. 
I had a weird experience with this person or that thing that I saw that one time. Was that it? Was that it? Like that one time that I randomly don't remember something that happened when I got like men in black and then suddenly my memory's wiped. Like, oh, they said that was like retrograde amnesia, but maybe that was actually like a mutant with mind control powers. So this is kind of huge in that way, as well as just being very fun. Yeah, because that that paranoia is a, is a thing mm-hmm. that we see a lot in X-Men comics where parents are like, oh, my God, I think my child might be a mutant. I think my coworker might be. And it and it creates this feeling of real fear yeah. in the general population. I want to uh, uh, <laughs> I want to note that it's 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 remarkable to me that one, we got Mr. Immortal and he's just presented just as himself with his powers and no one at all has been like where did he get these we are past the point in the mcu where where did they get the powers is really a question they're just accepting that this guy can do this and no one has thought to ask well how can how is he doing this that's my favorite thing about where we are now it's almost like with that brilliant moment at the end of Miss Marvel that we all loved so much, which was, you know, it's a mutation. That has basically opened the doors now for us as the viewers to just say, oh, well, they might be a mutant or, oh, everyone has powers now. And it is giving a lot of leeway for the shows to just say, hey, superheroes exist. You know this. You've been in this world for 25 movies. Now it's just happening. But yeah, I did find it especially a power like being immortal. Yeah, that he's is not, a pretty intense power to have. And and nobody... He's not an Asgardian elf. Nope. He's not a former super soldier. He was not, uh, you know, subject to a radioactive accident. He's just running around with these very intense Can't powers. Die. And no, and yeah, nobody's... Talking about Mickey it. and Mallory are just like, so you can die, you can't die, yeah, you like, can't do die, you die? Can't like, die. which one? Like, you know, it's very, it's a very interesting time to be in the MCU. It's, it's great. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, so much in that last kind of stinger scene, where, you know, uh, uh Jen is having. You know, the kind of uh, the the plate of fries at the end of the wedding after the big fight with Titania, uh, kind of bonding with this guy who seems, uh, uh, you know, pretty accepting and certainly maybe attracted to Jen. And they're they're uh, sharing this plate of fries. And then we zoom out and it's clear that somebody is keeping track of Jen. We go to a futuristic lab where there is a screen where we see someone named Hulk King capitalized in a very interesting way, certainly in a way that uh, would lead us to speculate about Hulkling. Hulkling, is that what that means? Uh, saying, okay, where are we with uh, with Jen? Uh, we should note that this is exactly how Mr. Blue communicated with Mr. Green in, uh, in the Incredible Hulk movie mm-hmm. starring Ed Norton. And then, uh, you know, we see the, the, the bench needle that the Wrecking Crew attempted to stab Jen with. Yeah. And then we see another needle being snapped onto a a new syringe. And it's early, but I'm going to call We Were Right on this, the adamantium needle. Because the sound effect, the sound effect, listen, it might be vibranium, but the, the, the sound, it was so distinct 
And it led me to to one in the comics. The only thing that can penetrate the Hulk skin is an adamantium needle. Yes. We've seen it. seen it numerous times in the comics. And two, the sound it makes is very much like it's evocative. It's, it's evocative, evocative of Wolverine's claw. Also, and, I, I would just say we we were right. We can do a two part. We were right. One, I also agree. I think it has to be adamantium needle. They're just throwing mutants around now. I don't see any yeah, issue. Yeah. We've had multiple Wolverine uh, sti- like Easter eggs at this point with stuff in Madripoor. But also as well, we were right. We knew they would make a new needle that would be made of yes. some kind of super strong metal, be right. it adamantium or vibranium. So I would be, yeah, I would say we can take a We Were Right. And also if it's an adamantium needle, obviously that's so exciting because most people who are listening, I think, will probably know adamantium is the metal that covers Wolverine's bones and his claws in the X-Men comics and in the that plays a large part in the in the X-Men movies. So again, we're moving towards that mutant space. Okay, so let's talk about two things here in that scene. One, Hulk King. Who is he? Okay. Who is he or her? Who are they? So I think I think that you're very right that they want it again. If we're talking about evocative stuff, I think they want it to evoke Hulkling. It looks right. the same. Also, Hulkling like is... Like Donnie Blaze. And Hulkling, they want us to think Johnny exactly. Blaze. Exactly. And Hulkling is scroll royalty. You know, right. so he is technically a Hulk king. I also think, so the reason that we know it is, that another thing that we need to talk about is the way that it pops up, it is very evocative of a, a website that we just saw, which was called the Intelligentsia, which was kind of this MRA 4chan-esque website where they, a lot of dudes were just talking about how much they hate She-Hulk and they want to kill She-Hulk. But that in itself is really important because in the comics, the Intelligentsia was this villain knowledge sharing group that ended up becoming a super villain group and they were the ones who created red hulk which you find out in 2010's uh, hulk 23 they were the ones who convinced thunderbolt ross to take the hulk serum and and become red hulk so there's also that aspect where it's like we think we're heading towards i think we're heading towards red hulk slash red she hulk for sure yeah yeah and so like is uh, what i think is really interesting is we thought tim blake nelson the leader was going to be the one kind of the Machiavellian guy behind the curtain. He could be. He could see himself as the Hulk king. But I will also say he is a really good scientist. He could actually just be running that lab. And whoever is actually behind this, who is the Hulk king, you know, for all we know, this is, I'm going to throw out a really out there one. Yeah. What if, like in the comics, so what if Bruce has gone back to Sakaar, Jen cannot i like this jen cannot get in touch with him right yeah tinfoil hatting this one right what if scar hulk's son is already on earth and is the one who is doing all of this because he hates his dad which is a a very canon comic book thing and he is actually the one who's trying to find out about how hulk blood works he's the one who's trying to find out who she hulk is there's all different things that could be coming into play here and i kind of i'm very impressed by how they took what we thought was a pretty simple, but with a lot of fun stuff. Like we had the yeah. Elliot Franklin theory. We had a lot of different fun stuff, but I love that now they've turned it on its head and now there's like a hundred other people because Intelligentsia has so many Hulk villains in it too. So as well as like Modoc, Red Ghost, yeah. Doctor Doom, like all different kinds of people. So there's just so much here that they're playing with. The, the Hulk King thing just kind of blew my mind because I'm like, uh, I need to know. And also, is it just one of these crazy 
intelligentsia website guys who just has a ton of money. I know one of the dis in our Discord, a lot of people have been guessing that the the guy who Jem went on a date with, who was like a real creep, who then ended up at the office. Yeah. Nice. He might yes. be the villain. And and now we know I that there's that a whole sense. king. Super rich, wealthy, like hates strong women, you know. So that would also be really interesting. Chris, uh, producer Chris, uh, is raising a theory in the chat. Could Josh, cute guy at the wedding, who they eat the, the fries with in that moment, in that, uh, uh, you know, as the, the secret camera, wherever that's hidden, like zooms out and we see that she's being observed. Josh is there with her. Could Josh, cute guy at the wedding, end up being a fake out name and he's actually the Hulk King? I, I, I like that as well. I think Chris is definitely onto I, something. Because they introduced that guy in a way he can't be just like another nice exactly. guy. Exactly. And you know, he knows he goes in there with the exact specific attack of I don't just like She-Hulk, I like Jen, which yeah. publicly was just a huge thing in a lawsuit. And then it seems very unlikely to me that he would he's got her in her Jen form because he likes Jen. Yeah. And he so that means you can get her blood even without an adamantium needle, potentially. But adamantium needle is a good choice, just because you don't know how someone's human skin could take on its Hulk skin form. But then he's sitting right in the right place in front of the camera so that she can be seen. I think Josh is sadly at least intelligentsia adjacent. Adjacent, yeah. Um, I I'll say this: we. I don't think it's the leader for the following reason. Just put a syringe in your own arm. Right? You I'm know? like, unless, you, uh, okay, so you've got, he, you got the gamma okay, okay. blood. Is now, he trying? We, we've established, we, I'll just say we, that we have established that Jen's blood is is super special, in, even in the context of gamma irradiated mm -hmm. blood. It allowed Bruce to heal his arm. It has different properties. That said, it feels like the leader would be focused elsewhere. Maybe the leader wants Jen's blood to cure himself because he's like deformed and kind of messed mm. up by it. But also, how would he know that Jen's blood is better blood? Right. How I would think, he know? I think with the intelligentsia, the Hulk King, I think that all leads to this idea of somebody creating a Red Hulk or a Red She-Hulk, which we had long wondered about. And I will just say would be a very cool way to reintroduce Liv Tyler to the MCU. Because Betty is Red She-Hulk in the comics originally, and I just think that would be so cool. Uh, do you think... I agree with the, the, the jilted date as being an intelligentsia person, but do you think there's any... You think MODOK or any of the super ape or any of the rest are involved in this? I think that they... I think they have long... They have long talked about bringing MODOK to the MCU. I think he's going to be in the MCU. I don't think this is where. But I do think that knowing She-Hulk, we could see some super weird characters like Awesome Android and like other people who've been in the intelligentsia. Oh yeah, so Chris just mentioned that he, yeah, MODOK's confirmed in Quantumania. We've already seen some leaked mm -hmm. uh, visuals of what potentially he could look like. But like, I think that knowing She-Hulk, they're going to go for the weird. Ma now, now look, MODOK is very weird. I'm not saying that, but MODOK is He's also one of the weirdest. an unbelievably 
complex character to bring to life. Yes, and I think very that much so. in Quantumania, you probably can dedicate a couple of years to to somebody just building Modok and working out how he would look. You know, if you haven't seen him, he's like basically a giant floating head. Producer Saul with a uh, extremely tinfoil hat comes with. I wonder if Josh's Amadeus Cho like. Oh my in, god! I wish that know, was the case. Disguise. I don't think that that. I like where your head is at, but one, this feels a little bit low stakes for the the genius of Amadeus Cho, mm. and two, I think they probably cast younger. Okay, okay. Seeming what if a lot younger seeming? If it was Amadeus Cho, what if? Yeah. Hypothetically, me and Chris are. Right, but wrong. Like, instead of Josh being a part of the intelligentsia, he's actually there to protect Jen. Oh, I like Because that. of his super genius. You know, I would, I agree with you, though. I think if you're going to do Amadeus, you're going to probably make him like a super teen. But I do yeah. really like that idea. And I don't think it's that out of the realm of possibility, simply because we know that this is a place where they're basically introducing slash reintroducing a lot of the Hulk family. I agreed. Um, and I also, uh, you know, to Chris's point that Monarch is confirmed for Quantumania, it does, it feels a little bit like, you know, not to not to ruin the magic by peeking too far behind the curtain. But I, I, I imagine that one, and part of the reason they're digging so deep into the crates is because whoever the Marvel lore keeper is at MCU mm-hmm. was, you know, was like, oh, no, you can't use that person because we're using them for this. Can we use Modoc? No, M- Modoc's in quantum meaning, so we can't use him. Yeah. Can we use, you know, uh, US agent? No, I can't use US agent. Yeah, Ziggy, so I mean, if, Ziggy so even I, said I w- that's like, you know, he was yeah. there to, he was pulling those deep cut places out so you didn't have that crossover for sure. So I feel like, you know, for all the implications, and there are many, I, I, I would imagine that it's, there's a world where Marvel is having similar conversations where they're like, okay, they use this weird character. I mm-hmm. wonder what all the implications that we could then generate yeah. stories off of from I, there. I also think as well, the other thing that we know that the MCU loves to do, I mean, it's part of why we're here with our Tim Four hat theories and our Weaver yeah. rights and stuff. They love to seed stuff. So I'm sure yeah, that by that. introducing the intelligentsia, they knew people were going to make that connection to Modoc. And there is a world where we even hear someone referenced you know, the machine designed only for killing or something like there's. I feel like there's a way that they can they can still have or or they have someone just say, you know, of course, sir, and they send an email and the emails to like Modoc. Like they can do that fun stuff where they seed it in without necessarily having to show like the giant floating head creature, you know. So, yeah, I just like I this was such a fun episode, but like you said, it's the implications. Like they're having fun, but they're yeah. also like vampires exist, Wolverine. Like it's it's really fun stuff. Okay. Adamantium versus vibranium. Here is my take. Or mm-hmm. and and obviously, you know, there's also the possibility that it could be some other weird super, you know, some titanium yeah. alloy that they're like, okay, maybe this will, you know, that it's not necessarily adamantium. Although again, clearly they want us to think that. Here's why. I think here's my case for it not being vibranium. We've established while we have established that vibranium is a wonder uh, metal that has a lot of uh, really amazing properties, among them being extreme durability. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we've established with vibranium is that 
the number one thing about it that really makes it special is that it's it absorbs and releases kinetic energy. We see that with the the Black Panther suit. It's it's got this property of um, it can absorb all the damage and all the hits that are, are being directed towards it, and then it can release it as like a focused energy blast. So it's got that property to it. That is a very distinctly different. Like you wouldn't necessarily need that for a needle. What you need for a needle that you want to pierce a Hulk skin is just, is it unbreakable? Will it bend? Is it, is it indestructible basically? And that is the, the key difference between these two wonder metals is uh, both are really, really, really strong. Viranium is almost indestructible, but adamantium, unless you, bring it to its melting point is basically indestructible. Yeah, it's ba- like you can't break there it. There is like there is like obviously times because it's comic books where like I I believe it was like Ultimate Hulk managed to break an adamantium needle or right. something, yeah. But like in general, adamantium's in general. going through whatever they want it to go through. We've yes. seen it with Wolverine, That's we've why seen it. it. Yeah. I and also look they make these shows. These shows are made by people who love this stuff. They're made by people like Zeb Wells and Zig who make the comics. Yeah, they who know, know all that about if, you, this shit. if you create, if you end an episode with a needle <laughs> yeah. that is looks really big and shiny and goes into a syringe with a kind of like clink, like snick, yeah, yeah. like they know that people are going to say, oh, that's an adamantium needle. Now we yeah. also know... The, because of how this show has been and how funny they are and how much they kind of enjoy playing with expectations, it could literally we next week they'll be like, oh yeah, this is a this is a very strong needle called like gadamantium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, they might like do that. Step, that is something that they it's might. It's like do. <laughs> the step before adamantium on like yeah. the the. But you know, like it's just the reason it's fun is because we get to guess. And also, I will say, I think with everything else in this episode, I believe. It being adamantium is very, very likely because, like I said, they just casually revealed that vampires just fully exist. Uh, just are fully they were just running like, around. Vampires are real, <laughs> and also yeah. this mutant mutants, mutants are real. Vampires are, are real. Running around. I think that adamantium in that context could definitely be real and a thing. Well, let's welcome uh, She-Hulk head writer Jessica Gao. Uh, to the show now and ask her some questions, uh, potentially including whether or not that's adamantium and is Mr. Immortal a mutant? And does that mean Krakoa is not a thing right now? Questions I'm sure she will answer. (laughs) Definitely going to give us all the answers. (laughs) A whole new batch of progressive merch just dropped at the Crooked Store with T's hats, and bumper stickers that are all about demanding reproductive justice, canceling student debt, and making our democracy work. You can show where you stand even while you sit in traffic. Head to the Crooked store and pick out something to wear to the voting booth. Or just on your morning coffee run. You guys know how t-shirts wear. You can wear them anywhere. Check it out at crooked.com slash store. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, Eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. This week in the hive mind, where we bring on experts to discuss their work and more, X-ray Vision is thrilled to welcome She-Hulk head writer, Jessica Gao. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. So like one of the questions we always ask, because this is the bread and butter of what we do and what we care about, like what's your origin story of comics? Like how did you find comics? What do you care about? What was it about comics that made you fall in love with them? Or do you not care about comics at all and just ended up on the NMCU show? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a lifelong comic book reader. Uh, when I was a kid, I read mostly manga because mm. my I, I was born in China and I immigrated to America when I was young. And my relatives in China, you know, I was like a bookworm. And so they would always want to send me gifts, you know, because they they missed me or because somebody went to visit and you have to send a gift, you know. And uh, they would all, because the one thing they knew about me was that I loved reading, they were, they would constantly send me Chinese bootlegs of whatever was like the hot manga in Japan <laughs> at the time. And so I just had like stacks of bootleg comics um, that I, that I read constantly, you know? And um, so it was a lot of like Dragon Ball and like Ranma and Yu Yu yeah. Hakusho, City Hunter, Cat Eye. You know, stuff like that, like whatever was hot in Japan and th that the bootleggers felt was worth bootlegging. <laughs> that's what I got. Then. And then when I got more into uh, when I was more when I was a teenager, that's when I got into reading like more, you know, like American comics. And like my first job in high school was at the local comic book store. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. yeah. But I was never, like, to be fair and honest, I was never huge on mainstream comics. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't read a lot of Marvel or DC. Um, I mostly, like, the most mainstream I read was probably, like, Image and Vertigo comics. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, and but I really got heavily into, like, the indie stuff, you know? Like, anything that, like, Fanagraphics put out, yeah. Slave Labor Graphics, Drawn and Quarterly, like, that was, like, more my jam, you know? So how did you get uh, attached to She-Hulk? What was the process like? What was your take on the character that got you the gig? <laughs> well, they they knew me. I mean, I, I've told the story a few times now where She-Hulk was the fourth time I pitched yeah. at Marvel. So it was the fourth project I pitched there, which means that, you know, I was rejected three times before I got <laughs> She-Hulk. Um, but She-Hulk was always my favorite character from Marvel Comics. And so I, like... All three other times that I got rejected, I would bring up She-Hulk and be like, guys, if you do She-Hulk, you gotta. 
you got to call your girl. Yeah. Um, and then I would threaten arson if they didn't, you know, so, just so they knew I was serious. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. And so when I went into pitch She-Hulk, I mean, anytime I pitch TV, it always starts with character, you know, mm-hmm. like you y- you have to care about this main character to want to hang out with them week after week. Um, and for me, like, you know, what I loved about She-Hulk from the comics was just how meta the the burn run was that was the run yeah. that made me fall in love with G-Hulk and her breaking the fourth wall, like how irreverent she was, how funny she was, you know, she didn't take like being in comics too seriously. Yeah. Like there was just this levity to it that I really lo- found really refreshing, you know? And so, uh, especially since, you know, like I think the most mainstream stuff I read in when I was a teenager was probably Batman comics. And mm-hmm. that's always very dark and serious, you know? So like, something like She-Hulk is just, it's so like the polar opposite um, and tone wise. And I just, it, it was just like a breath of fresh air. Um, so how I approached the character was, you know, I just felt like I could really relate to her. You know, I thought about our similarities, you know, we're both women in our thirties mm. with careers, like very focused on work. And, um, but also, you know, had friends, had like, you know, family that we talk to, um, unlike a lot of comic book characters. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, but then I thought like, you know, if this thing happened to me, if one day I, there was an accident and I got superpowers and I became a Hulk and there were all these expectations that now I would have to be a superhero, I'd be fucking furious. <laughs> like, because I, I mean, if you look at the shirt I'm wearing, it says I'm tired. Yeah. And that's Relatable. how I feel every day. And so I would be like, I'm too tired to add one more thing to my plate. And also like, I didn't ask for this. Like, no, yeah. thank you. You know, Like if I was a lawyer and I'd gone through like law school and I would racked up six figures in student loans, like who's going to pay that? There's, they're yeah. not going to forgive the debt just because I'm a superhero now. <laughs> like I'm still on the hook to pay that off, you know, like, oh, I'm supposed to just like stop everything and uh, but still have to deal with all the ramifications, like just because it happened. Like I would be, you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. Just so oh, much, yeah. there's so much messiness in the minutia of what happens. Like, yeah, there's the big concept of like, oh, you have powers and now you have to be a superhero, but it's like, but let's look at all the details, mm-hmm. you know, like where are you going to get your healthcare from? Who's, who's providing that? Yes. Like, yeah. how do you get paid? Like, how do you, what's your retirement plan <laughs> yes. if you're a superhero? Yeah. Like, that's all stuff we have to think about. Yeah, I actually wrote an article after Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the episode where Sam Wilson said that the Avengers didn't get paid and that yeah. Tony didn't pay them. And I was yeah. like, this has broken my brain. Like, <laughs> the minutia-minded side of my brain <laughs> is yeah. like, how do they live? How do they have insurance? How do they do anything, you know? And so something I'm interested about, because that kind of aspect of minutia and the slice of life aspect of the show is something that we love so much. Do you feel like your love of like indie comics, stuff like you mentioned fantagraphics, I'm guessing like Love and Rockets, stuff like that. That's like one of my favorite comics. Do you feel like you brought those storytelling sensibilities to She-Hulk as well by kind of looking more at like the holistic life of the character like indie comics sometimes do rather than just that big concept superhero stuff. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I didn't really approach this following a traditional superhero formula, you know, it was definitely more about like the tone was a lot more important, you know, 
And uh, like, it's not a plot heavy show. It's an episode. It's a very mm-hmm. episodic show. And it's very much about the slice of life, you know? Um, and it really is. It, it's exactly like you said, it's this like kind of holistic, well-rounded look of like, what is the entire totality of this person's life? One thing that is really resonating with us as comic book nerds is just how this is the most comic book nerd show from Marvel. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Like <laughs> the 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 way it just present, you know, the way Mr. Immortal shows up and he's just been around. He's just been around doing his Mr. <laughs> Immortal thing in the world and it's taken as part of the texture of of this space and that is that's part of the excitement of reading comics when I was a kid to me is just having a, a window open into this entire vibrant world where people are running around doing things, going to the gym, going shopping, uh, using their powers for good and ill. How much of that was really uh, was what you were going for, where you're going to like we're going to pull from all these different things and we're not even going to be like. How did Mr. Immortal get his powers? Forget about it. We're just going to present him <laughs> as a person them. that's running yeah. around. Yeah, I mean, you know, it just it felt like we're over a decade into the MCU. Like, and, you know, every other movie introduces a, a new character, a new yes. superhero, somebody with powers, you know. And, like, they're in the, they're in the double digits now, you know. Mm-hmm. So people in their world have been living with this for years and years and years. So it's no longer, like a shock, you know, to the system of like that people with superpowers exist. These people exist, you know, and not every single person is going to make the news and become an Avenger. There are, you know, people like Mr. Immortal who are like, oh, I'm only going to use this for my personal life. (laughs) (laughs) And there's no contribution to society, you know, like there's just, there's just people around who, who have these powers and, you know, we really wanted to focus on the lower level mm-hmm. stuff, not yeah. the global save the universe kind of thing. We wanted to focus on like the everyday street level people who aren't making the news and are just kind of existing. Yeah. And how fun was it as a process to kind of get to go through and pick, you know, we get Mr. Immortal here. We get a reference to Baroness Blood. So I'm like, now definitely that vampires exist in the MCU. That is my head canon. But like, how fun was it in the room <laughs> So, you know, we talked to Zig and he was talking about, you know, pulling out names like the Wrecking Crew and stuff. So how fun was it to kind of get to dig in and find those characters who fit this low ground level superhero world that you were building? It's it's really fun. And so our our writer's room, the makeup of the writer's room was 50 percent like Marvel super nerds and like Zig and like Zeb Wells and, you know, Jackie Gales and like. Um, and then the other half were just comedy writers who were like, yeah, I have never touched a comic book and I don't really need to unless I'm being yeah. paid to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, but it's a, but I like, we needed that yeah. balance, you know, cause we can't be completely inside baseball mm-hmm. when it comes to comics. Like, cause this is still a sitcom, you know, first and foremost. So it was nice to have that mix of people to kind of balance out like what is going to be funny, you know? but what's also going to be true to the comics. And so it was really nice to have half the room be able to like start pulling from the comics. Like, you know, um, like, like Zig and Zeb and everybody would, they, they already had like their, their kind of 
mental list of characters they've always wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, you know? of course. And, and our philosophy was always like the the lower level, like the C level, D level, like give us the low rent guys. Because then you have <laughs> yeah. the most freedom, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. You, well, also like A, you have the most like highest probability that it would be available that no one's <laughs> like, you know, creating like that Marvel isn't already doing some sort of like trilogy about them. But two, also like you have more freedom because they're not this like precious, revered, yeah. like mm-hmm. have like a crazy fandom character. They're, they're, they're characters that people are like, oh, I recognize them. That's funny that they're using them, you know? Um, or characters where they're like, I I don't even know where they pulled that from. And, <laughs> and then you can really like kind of play around with them and and come up with like funny stuff for them. So, you know, we pull like characters that we just thought would be funny. And then the whole room would kind of go to work on coming up with like, what's a funny reason they would be in legal trouble? Like what yeah. is specific to this character um, that uh, would require a lawyer. Um, and and that's where we went from there. And, and that's really, really fun to pitch, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, you're just, they're characters, whether or not they're comic book characters or sitcom characters, they're just characters that you're coming up with very like character specific stories for. This seems very obvious to me, but uh, but I uh, I was wondering if you might spell it out for our audience. It seems, what is it that makes comedy writers like yourself Jeff Lovna, Zeb, uh, so the right person to develop and adapt these stories for TV, for film? I think it's that, well, I think it is, what I loved about Marvel movies was that they're all very, like, even the serious ones, there is the sense of joy, you know? There is the sense of, like, of, of this love for this medium, and, like, you know, if you could be very reductive and say like, oh, it's like for kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think being able to see the way that like comics have these like strong themes and can tell these like very um, uh, like metaphor laden stories, you know, and kind of be a reflection of of our of the times and of people um, being able to like take that seriously, but also balance that with like, okay, but it's still, you know, a person with superpowers or <laughs> some guy who decided to dress up like a frog, you know, like, <laughs> like being able to kind of balance that and like treat it like with the right level of seriousness. Like these characters are taking their lives seriously, mm-hmm, you know, so yeah. we respect that, but we also understand that it's inherently a little silly and lighthearted, you know, and also the stakes on our show are very low. It's not, it's not like half of humanity is going to die. It's like, well, is this guy going to have to pay, like pay out a lot of settlement, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that way, actually, it kind of seems wild that there hasn't been like a superhero sitcom. Like this seems like the perfect balance. So could you talk a little bit about that choice and going Obviously, it makes so much sense for She-Hulk, but why was that? How did you know that was the right pitch? Well, I I come from writing for uh, TV comedies, yeah. so um, so I was always going to do uh, comedy. Um, I just I don't write dramas, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it was always going to be a comedy, but I think like She-Hulk of all characters is like so. I mean, the most iconic She-Hulk runs are so like fun and light, you know. And funny. So I think like it's that's just what's true to the character. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. We're gonna we're gonna hit you now with the questions that we're pretty sure you can't answer, but we're gonna try. <laughs> um let's see how good my poker face is. 
adamantium needle at the end. Yes. Oh! <laughs> no, I'm saying yes. No. What are you? Is, what is are, it, what's no. your question? Is it adamantium? What's adam- the question? Is, yeah, is, that, is, that, is, it, sorry. is that an adamantium needle? Uh, no. Okay. Wow. Oh, interesting. Uh, Rosie? Um, We've not talked about adamantium on the show at all. There's no talking about it, but you know, guess Here's it. it. It's a guess. We Here is why we guessed that, because okay. of the Hulk's history uh, with adamantium. You know, it's always the only solution to be like, how do we uh, turn the Hulk back into, or get his blood or turn him back into banner? We got to hit him. What's the only thing that can pierce the skin is an adamantium needle. And it made a sa- it made a very satisfying snickdish sound, which is why we thought that. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it's rare to get a conclusive answer, so I'm yeah. very excited about that. I'm um, okay. <laughs> so, Baroness Blood, aka um, Mr. Immortal's wife, potentially, potentially. I mean, so Baroness Cromwell is his ex-wife. Is that? Does that mean was he married to a vampire? I feel like it would make sense because he's immortal. But was that, or was that just like a fun name, Paul? Uh, that was just a fun name, Paul. We don't know which. Uh, we don't know who this person is that he he was married to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, obviously, you've had a lot of fun <laughs> over this season with like names that are one letter off from names that we recognize. Donnie Blaze. <laughs> Donnie Blaze, for instance, is a fantastic... Iconic. Pulse. And then at the end of this episode, you know, when we see that that secret lab where they're working to collect Jen's blood, uh, we see a, a chat on a screen, a, a computer message from someone named Hulk King, which mm-hmm. seems like very uh, specifically one letter off from Hulk... Hulkling. Uh, is... <laughs> Is that another Donnie Blaze, Johnny Blaze, Hulk King, Hulkling? Is that another one of those Donnie Blaze situations? What I will say is you have to think about this, the world of the show as this is a world where people are aware of all these kind of superheroes, beings, villains, aliens. Everyone's aware that these types of people exist, you know? So you have to think like, there are people in this world who are like our world fans, mm-hmm. like, you know, people who are into like fan fiction, people who are modeling themselves after these people, you know, people who know like the name Hulk and are, you know, coming up with um, like coming up with just a screen name that is a reflection of what they're interested in and who they're interested in. Okay, and this is less of a this is less of a spoiler question, but links to the the Hulking moment. Could you talk a little bit about introducing the intelligentsia as this kind of like MRA website <laughs> and how that plays into how well you guys kind of preemptively joked about what you knew the response to the show would be? Yeah, I mean, I think it just we. I mean, we we had our writers room in twenty. We started our writers room in twenty nineteen. That's, That's how long ago we you know we started writing this show. So I mean, it truly preempts a lot of the stuff because we knew. I mean, I think it just goes to show how completely unoriginal and tired and yeah. boring <laughs> you guys are. You know that three years ago we could predict like exactly what they were gonna say. Like, fucking get a new song, man. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just, I mean, it, it's its funny, but it's also sad yes. that, like, it's so accurate. And also that 
it is so common and so predictable that we could this accurately like just pull it out you know because it's not it's not really it is specific to the show but it also isn't like that Mm -hmm. type of like like hate and like stupidity is not specific to this show only you know it's so prevalent that um that's why we were able to to just know exactly you know um so it was very funny the um when the show premiered seeing all the responses where i was like hey, you just wait till the third episode comes out because <laughs> because the little troll inside of me was also giggling like. <laughs> trolling the trolls baby <laughs> uh well jessica this has been a fantastic conversation thank you so much for joining us oh thanks for having me this was great yeah it was such a joy thank you <laughs> Folks, we're stepping out of the airlock onto the streets of Ferrix, beautiful company town, Ferrix, for the first three episodes of Andor, written by Tony Gilroy, directed by Toby Haynes. Um, again, we just want to touch on this uh, these episodes because we want to give everybody uh, time to process them and to really uh, uh, digest them, and then we're going to be talking about it regularly as the, as the series progresses. Um, but first off, Rosie, what are your thoughts? So I thought it's it's very beautiful. I'm happy. I love to see Diego back. You know, we're big fans of Rogue One on this show. Huge fans. Uh, Huge, huge fans of Rogue One. So, yeah, I I love the the landscape. I love that it's not a nostalgia-fueled show. I think, like, we've all talked about this. People in the Discord have been talking about this. This is a show that is almost has a similarity to Lord of the Rings in that the first episode may be a little bit homework heavy a little bit introductory heavy but you get those three episodes so by the end you've really kind of dived in so yeah i thought it's like a good show i I, i'm a big fan of tony gilroy who they bring in to save everything so i'm really happy to see him getting to have this space to do this i do have some moments that like bumped me though so that's like i'm excited to talk to you about it so i too i i think it looks absolutely like jaw-dropping stunning actually like the the volume is doing incredible or clearly i think they shot on location somewhere it looks amazing i you know rogue one is probably my favorite star wars movie and i think the the vibe of rogue one which is which kind of recontextualized the part of the impact of the original star wars as a as a flipped allegory to the Vietnam War, you know, in which, uh, you know, scrappy rebels take on this uh, superpower with weapons of mass destruction and actually defeat it. I, I Rogue One took that and brought it into the 21st century with an allegory that essentially says um, that acknowledged the power of the kind of like freedom fighter narrative. You yeah, know, and like- you had... You had these you had these uh, uh, rebels fighting to defend a holy city with rare natural resources that were being exploited by a superpower. You know, it's like this uh, it's the grievances of the Middle East with regards to the United States as empire, but uh, mixed up and put back, uh, you know, 
and and digested back and given back to us as a Star Wars story. I think that was part of like what really gave it its power. And I think Andor is similarly continuing to do that same thing, which is taking really, really provocative ideas and saying, okay, at what level does violent resistance to corporate power become mm-hmm. morally acceptable? At what point does violent resistance to um, the security state become, while clearly illegal, morally acceptable? At yeah. what point does uh, the destruction of the environment warrant a morally potentially violent response. Uh, And those ideas are really, really, really just very, very interesting and kind of like radical to explore in the context of Star Wars uh, right now. And I think that part of it has me absolutely hooked. Here is where is the thing that bumps me as well. I do bump on certain things. One, um, and this is all with the caveat that we need more context and I need to see where this is going. You know, Andor is 12 episodes long. Yes. So we're literally a quarter of the way through the show. There is a lot that we can still discover. But we both definitely got caught on a couple of the same things. The kind of like reframing of an in, a, a story about indigenous people fighting against a technological colonial foe made me feel a little bit weird that being Diego's backstory, just not weird in that the idea of doing it, but the way they presented it makes me maybe a, like tad uneasy if if I don't know where it's going. At this yeah. point, I'm like, it, it's definitely something I'm like, hmm, I wonder where this is going because this is either like, again, a, another super, super radical theme and detail in the context of a Star Wars show or or maybe a little bit of a miss. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like I love to see we're living in an age right now where there's finally we're getting a lot of really brilliant like indigenous storytelling in a mainstream accessible space. The storytelling's always been there, but now it's getting a platform, whether it's like you know, uh, Reservation Dogs, Blood Quantum, like one of my favorite movies from the last few years. There's there's a lot of great stuff being made. Saying that, I, I too wonder, I love the notion of a indigenous, exploring an indigenous culture in Star Wars. That's incredible. Yeah. It fits I, in I with the do, radical. I, I love that, yeah. Me too. I, I personally, my first feeling about it was like, this could have been the prequel. To just yeah. see so we could have spent time there and got to know them. And it wasn't so much of just kind of flashback to trauma, which is a lot of what we're getting right now. So I'm I'm interested in that. You know what? I feel like in a, a post-Wakandan world, let's say, mm-hmm. I, I think that fantasy and sci-fi and ideas of indigenous populations in sci-fi and fantasy, I feel like... I want to see where they're going with this idea of like nature versus technology, because I feel like in the Star Wars world, that indigenous culture could have been like a a very highly, it could have been represented differently in a way that embraces both nature and sci-fi that would have felt maybe a little bit less simplistic. Really, the the main thing for me is the decision to not 
have us understand what they are saying. Yes, that's felt, the biggest. It felt like an unnecessary othering <laughs> to you to like you know, for lack of a better, uh, you know, more subtle phrase mm-hmm. of a people that doesn't really occur in Star Wars usually. Usually it's like, especially if this is like the main character, you want us to empathize and understand what what a particular ethnicity or a people or a race or an alien group or or androids are, are saying and you want to and I guess you could say well they they, they don't subtitle the droids but fine. people translate what they're saying by telling they you what tr- they're saying they translate it right back I will also say it's very different than say I remember um you know when West Side Story came out the Steven Spielberg one there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh unsubtitled Spanish mm-hmm. in that and and um and I thought that's actually really interesting and cool because you're basically allowing Spanish speakers to experience part of the film that non-Spanish speakers can't. And it, it that is an interesting subversion of how English speaking is usually n- non-subtitled. But this is mm-hmm. a, I just double checked because I wanted to be sure, but this is a made up language. It's Canary. Yeah. So I don't in that way understand why they now, don't again- subtitle I want to see where it's going. Yes. And then the other the other thing, because, again, I think the idea, again, as you said, presenting an indigenous people through the lens of Star Wars and exploring their culture, I think is there's nothing inherently weird or wrong about that. In mm-hmm. fact, that's fascinating and, a, and, a, and an idea I'd love to dive into. I also think it's really fascinating and radical to explore the idea of uh, of what an indigenous people could do to defend themselves that would be morally right considering the encroachment on their spaces, which is clearly an idea that this show is exploring when when young Andor comes to the edge of that great mining pit and sees what's being done to his planet, there's an anger and a defiance that flashes in his eyes. And it's the same anger and defiance that flashes in his eyes as, a, as an older man throughout mm-hmm. the, the episodes that we see. And it, I think it draws a through line there of this idea of how much – and he says, you know, no one would expect a person like me to be the one who gets, you know, yeah. paraphrasing now the thing he says in the trailer and other places. But I, I think that there's that through line there of how much does the, does a people have to put up with before it's okay for them to fight back. And I think that's clearly an idea that this uh, show is presenting, and it's a really interesting idea. That said. Okay, can I just, I just want to jump on that just quickly yeah, no, because I know the it, next please, thing. Please so the only thing, it. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I just, the other thing that kind of gets to me a little bit about it, yeah, is like, I I, I love that because I love radical ideas of struggle. The sad thing is in this case is like, wouldn't it have been, I know it doesn't work because we have to have Aunt Cassie and have some kind of loss, but like, couldn't we imagine a world where an indigenous people fought back and like won because it's a utopian Star Wars style space where you're imagining it also like the other thing that i find interesting in the context and like we said i'm very interested to see where it goes because this could all be very intentional and be kind of expanded on or explored or excavated as we go through but also like you know who never worried at at any point about whether killing people was right in star wars 
like every white person who's ever in Star Wars who just blows stuff up and kills people and is seen as a hero. So I just, I wonder, I I, want to see that moral, I want to know why the moral weight is so heavy on Cassian because the things that he is is fighting against are, are arguably so much more obviously deserving of rebellion or revolution mm-hmm. but That's again that could definitely be something that we see expanded on as the show goes forward there are a lot of points here where if these moments that we're talking about and are about to talk about another one are intentional and get explored and extrapolated on and that could be a really really radical space in the star wars universe or like you know you were saying if not, then it could be, there's a chance that it could end up being like a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah. And so I think the thing that bumped me really the hardest is at the end of the, uh, and again, this could be really interesting and I'm holding out, uh, I, I can't wait to see more to see how this, uh, you know, reframes the context potentially. Uh, Marva, who, uh, you know, has followed this ship that crashed um on Canari uh, is scavenging whatever kind of tech and different stuff that they have, and they want to get out before the Republic uh, answers. And uh, they come across this young indigenous person who is Cassian Andor, um, young Cassian Andor. Doesn't have that name yet, of course. And they're concerned that, you know, the Republic's going to show up and everybody's going to be potentially uh, facing, uh, you know, real danger that could end up with the extinction of this tribe, I guess, is with their concern. And so Marva kidnaps, you know, like, let's just say what it is, kidnaps Cassian and takes him away on her yeah. spaceship. And so my question is this, is are we framing that as this, like, unambiguously good rescue? or? Is there necessary, in my mind, necessary ambiguity to this action? Because while I don't doubt that Marva thinks I'm saving this young man's life, what is functionally happening is you are kidnapping him, taking him away from his tribe, from his people, from his culture, from his entire world, because you're concerned that he's in danger and that may or may not be true, but also like that's not your role. Yeah. And the way that you just (laughs) framed it. That's not your responsibility. I think it's very clear fingers crossed, that seems to be a, even just in the way you frame it, the way you speak about it, it seems like the right route to go is to use that as an analogous conversation about the times that that has happened in real life, the the kidnapping of indigenous children, of children from the global community, the global majority, and seeing... And having that as like, we're doing something good. And then we know that that is obviously historically something that has become very horrific and uh, just a way of exploiting children and, and harming children. So it feels to me like, I don't think Star Wars is going to be like, oh, Marva is, you know, an evil person. But I do think there could definitely be, there should be a depth a and depth, a conversation yeah. between Marva and between Cassian about the realities of what she did and how that shifted the the scope of his life and, and the way that his life turned out. Yeah, because it's definitely, you know, again, he may very well be in danger. You know, we're seeing a side 
through their eyes, through Marva's eyes, of the Republic that is, you know, less good than mm-hmm. we're, we're probably used to. Um, and certainly more exploitive of uh, of cultures and planets that aren't technologically advanced or part of the Republic writ large. But again, she just like snatches him up without any kind of, Doesn't hey, even, like, check. Is this, would this be OK? Yeah. Who are your people? Do you have family here? Who are who is your family here? Um, and kidnaps him from what is essentially a utopian planet. That I mean, this is another tra- this is an age old trope, right? Of the yeah. of the 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 people who are less technologically advanced live in this more egalitarian, just perfect society. Yeah, like the peaceful. And yeah. I, I that's another thing where I wonder if there was a a techno jungle twist or some kind of exploration that could have maybe potentially or might still happen we've only seen certain parts this is the thing it's been in flashbacks so we might uh, learn that there is more to it but like you said that segment to me definitely had the feeling of that age-old trope it didn't necessarily feel like it was adding anything to because let's be real i saw um like a lot of people have said this but like how many indigenous cultures have we seen been destroyed in Star Wars? So many. Like, so is many. that many? It's not it, the first one. Yeah. It's not the first one, and it's like R.I.P. to the Ewoks. So, like, is I, that my Ewoks? Like, is I, is that necessarily like a new story that needs to be told in the Star Wars universe? Hopefully, as Cassian, because this is a very slow burn show as well. So, hopefully, yeah. as it moves forward, we're gonna get to see that that conversation changed. But I would like to know about not subtitling the Canary. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, is is there is that gonna change? Is that I think on the um on our version there was no captions, but I think on the final version it says speaking Canary. The here's, classic. Well, here's the other thing that I think makes it an interesting choice to me. These are flashbacks through – how are we getting here, right? We're getting – the presentation is these are Cassian's reminiscences. Mm. And and by choice, they are not allowing us that perspective that he has where he understands what these people are saying. They're yeah. not letting us in there. Uh, so even, you know, from that perspective of a storytelling choice of a flashback from the perspective of a character, it's – it, it, it's a little puzzling yeah, to me. That's that a said, really, I think really you, great point. People might listen to this conversation and be like, they didn't like it. I actually loved it. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and here, and the fact that we are able to have these really like, these are big conversations about mm-hmm. big ideas through the context of Star Wars is that's why the point. I like Rogue One, why I think this is certainly the most interesting to discuss right now in terms of like ideas and themes and ideas about morality and ideas about like, you know, uh, about struggle, period. Having those conversations through this show, it it is really fascinating because, again, this is a show that is straight up like, okay, if it, it, it presents this idea to you and says that this is acceptable, if the powers of policing fuse with corporate interest. Sounds familiar. It is 
it is okay to resist that violently. That's a kind of radical idea to put forward. Yeah. And it's putting forward it putting it forward in the context of a Star Wars show. Um and I think that's a that's like pretty amazing. Yeah, and also as well, I think that something that you bring up that's really great there is how this carries on the tradition of Star Wars as like a radical analogy in Star Wars. Like, look, yeah. we know what the Empire is based on in Star Wars. It's yeah. based on Nazis. It's a response to fascistic dictatorships that are not afraid to kill and exploit. And the story there was, you need to stand up against those. Those must be stopped. And it doesn't matter if there's only one of you who is standing up. You can make a difference because you will find other people. So now, you know, that movie came out in the late 70s, the original Star Wars. Like now in 2022 to have a show that's like, by the way, if yeah. the police... Resist the Nazis. Yeah, and also yeah. saying like, we're going to make it more specific. If the police and evil corporations are destroying your life and your livelihood and your towns, yeah. it's actually okay to not be okay with that and to want to resist it. That is a very cool reconsideration and updating and making the message far more specific than just like the there's generic a real, bad guy. And and I love I mean there's a real class struggle aspect to this too. Like the fact that we don't have royalty, galactic royalty, mm -hmm. um lords, you know, Sith lords like running around making the choices. This is the uh, people who are closer to the earth who are working the way, you know, Luthen and Cassian have that conversation, you know, when they're meeting for the first time, potentially going to have the handoff of the device of the tra of the, uh, the navigation system. And they, they kind of in a roundabout way, start talking about the empire and mm -hmm. Luthen's like, yeah, they're, they're arrogant, aren't they? Like they don't understand how mad we are at them. Yeah. They uh, they just they're fat and happy and they and they're just using their power to push everyone around like they don't understand like what they're doing. They don't understand the, the anger they're engendering. That was a uh, that felt like a really that's a, an amazing thing to to watch happen, to watch this like rebellion start to coalesce. Not at the highest levels, but the grassroots yeah. anger at the empire that actually the leadership then harnessed it's in what, order to fight their war. It's what makes Rogue One so special is you literally yeah. watch a group of marginalized people, predominantly people of color, die in order to spark the rebellion in a very literal sense where they need Without them, you would never have the blueprints that allowed the rest of the Star Wars franchise to happen. So everybody dies. All these people of color die. These people from all over the planet, from all different places, all over the galaxy. And then at the end, Princess Leia, a space royal, has the blueprints. You know, that is the, that's what's so radical about Rogue One is like, who dies so that the people in charge can fight the war and win the war, right? And that's what I think is very interesting with Cassian is like, we're coming at it from this viewpoint of like, we want this to be the best version of this story that that makes the most of the space that it's created. Because Rogue One really was this really radical space. And yeah. it's kind of, it's very interesting to see that explored here, especially the notion of a 
of a corporate town, you know, something, a, a business town, which is something that, you know, we see in our, again, it's very relevant in 2022. There's also, I mean, they gave Cassian a real kind of like Han Solo when he shoots those two PM employees. There's a look that flashes across his face and it's definitely not regret that he just no. killed two people. It's, <sighs> fuck, now I got to deal with this. Yeah. You know? And that is a, I love that they gave him that kind of characteristic. Like, that's the kind of character we're dealing with. Yeah. Han Solo never, Han Solo pulled the trigger on Greedo. Oh, yeah, no question. never, never thought about it again. Also, (laughs) yeah, he just did that because he owed him some money, too. Like, it wasn't even a matter of survival. Yeah, so, okay, so something I found really interesting as well, like, in that context, like the one thing that really hooked me was um, they do that great thing, as so many storytellers do, where there's a moment that everything hinges on. And in this, it is the PM, you know, the the kind of head of PM. There's a young guy, Cyril Khan. Again, Mm. I'll be interested to see where they go with that. I feel like he was queer-coded and he is a villain. So, you know, we'll see where that leads. But what I found was really interesting is his boss, who is obviously corrupt and is in this... He was just like, just let it go, man. They weren't meant to be there. They got in the wrong fight with the wrong person. And I was like, wow, that... I just thought that was such an interesting moment where there's a different version of this story where... They never look for Cassie and it never leads yeah. down that way. And and but there's this one villainous guy who for some reason that we're still kind of waiting to find out has this fervent hatred of what happens and needs to needs to solve the crime, you know. And and I'm interested to see where that goes, but I really thought that was one of the most interesting choices was when the kind of corrupt boss of PM was or the security kind of corpos was like, you know what? They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, sorry to those men. Like, yeah. they shouldn't. I thought that was a really interesting I character point that feels much, again, much more grounded in reality than this idea of the well put together empire who will take down anyone who dares to question them. This is real people in the beginnings of what kind of working in the groundwork, this depressing grunt work of this kind of fascistic empire. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. This is a show that I'm super excited about continuing to talk about because the ideas here are just so, so huge. Big thank you to Jessica Gao for joining us. And of course, uh, a big thank you to Ferozi Knight uh, for co-hosting X-Ray Vision today. Rosie, more plugs. What have you to plug? Uh, you can find me, Rosie Marks, on Instagram and Letterboxd. That's also in the show notes. You can also find my articles and stuff like that in the show notes. I will hopefully have some more exciting comic book news coming soon. And obviously, Woo! you can always hear me here with you. <laughs> Catch the next episode on September 30th and subscribe to the show on YouTube. Please follow us on at XRV Pod on Twitter. And don't forget, in the show notes is our link to the Discord. Check out the Discord. Come hang out with us. Come hang out with the community. Lots of 
friendly, generous, uh, and really smart people there. Rosie and I are uh, active there all the time. Don't forget, send your House of the Dragon questions to askthemaester at gmail.com. And if you want to hear our full conversation this week on House of the Dragon and Rings of Power, check out the uh, the first episode. Uh, should be in your feed, which we have already released. If you're listening to this one, that one is out as well. We want your five-star reviews. Give us those five-star ratings on your podcast platform of choice. Here's a great one from Smirtalek. Uh, Jason Concepcion and Rosie Knight are crushing it. Love the energy this podcast gives. Super fun commentary on the industry and unique insights and fantastic reviews, reactions on the latest nerd culture shows and movies. Thank you so much, Smirtalek. Thank you. How nice. Thank you. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time, everybody. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.